Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Nicholas Pearshow. Today, we're talking about the critical role that communities play in education. Now, that's a topic that's come up time and time again over the course of this show, and we've heard it everywhere from the Canadian Arctic to last week's episode when I was speaking to Jane from Malawi. So I thought, uh, who better to talk about this than uh, my good friend Kat Davidson, who is a former philosophy and ethics teacher from the UK, who has dedicated much of her life and her career to working on this issue. She's the chair and founder of EduSpots, which works with change makers to improve education opportunities in Ghana. Uh, Kat, welcome. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Hi, Nicholas. Great to be here. Uh, I was really excited to talk to you because we've spoken a few times over the years, and there's so much that we could talk about from EduSpots to how you, you know, the, the big decision you took to stop teaching in a classroom and become the, you know, the, the, the director and founder of this new organization, to your passion for social justice and, and ethics and philosophy. And I've always enjoyed the, the, the opportunity to talk to you. So thank you so much for your time. Uh, I wanted to start by talking about EduSpots. Uh, because it addresses a topic that's come up over and over again over the course of the show, which is how do you work with communities to improve education? And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about EduSpots, what it is, what it does, and you know how you see it growing. Okay, great. So EduSpots, as it exists today, is really... Um... I, I think it's best described as an education network. So we have over 250 local volunteers who are all based in communities across Ghana and a few in Kenya. Um, and they, they're a mix of students, teachers and wider community members. So one thing that we're doing in EduSpots that's quite innovative is bringing all these different groups together, but often in the same space for discussions, in the same space for leading change, um, and on the same space in sort of all WhatsApp you know, discussions and planning processes and design processes. Um, and basically these 250 catalysts are all positioned in different communities across Ghana and they lead change through education spaces we've set up called spots. Um, and some people, I guess in your more basic form, a spot might be seen as a library, uh, the word of a library, because, and they're basically centers of community-driven change. And the whole concept of them that I think is particularly important to emphasize when I'm someone from the UK and not someone originally from Ghana, um, is that it's all about the communities leading their own change, creating their own programs and um, doing their own community engagement through these centers called SPOTS. Um, so we run various programs as well that are co-created with the, the volunteers in different ways. So it's important to say everyone is a volunteer um, at the community level in EduSpots and even half of our staff team are also volunteers. So we really try to bring that volunteer voice into the staff team, which is a core part of our, of our model and how we work. We basically run a series of volunteer training programs and which one of which we're in right in the middle of launching right now called the Ignite program that aim to give volunteers those skills and um, the understanding and also create those collaborative spaces to lead really sustainable change in their communities. So this program enables them to have training, um, not only in sort of basic things like the operations of their spot and child safeguarding, which is a big part of what we do, um, but also how to lead clubs and girls empowerment literacy, early years education, and eco-STEM, which is a mix of science and sustainability education. Um, 
So basically, we support the community members in creating really sustainable education solutions that are all about connecting the community with education. And the key thing is that all of the spots are sustained locally. So EduSpots is not paying sort of any salaries towards communities from the central um, staff sort of funding towards communities, partly because there are 50 of them and we realize that that wouldn't enable us to create the wider impact we want. But also we really believe that if you don't, um, if, if you avoid those kind of costs coming from a central fund, you can really generate a, a sense of ownership in the community that is very genuine because they have to find solutions to sustain their own costs. They have to find volunteers to run and open the space. And I think that just makes the communities take on the spots as their own. Um, they, they very much, yeah, feel that they are their own spots. And even the volunteers feel that they own edgy spots as a whole, rather than thinking it's something that's come from outside them. They really see themselves as a member of this organization that they've helped to develop. I think hopefully that covers most of EduSpots. It's a little complex in how it all fits together. It's wonderful to hear about the complexity of the solution. I think too often, not to editorialize too much, but too often in education, we're focused on you know, the kind of silver bullet solution, the one intervention that will change everything. And actually education is so messy. Uh, it's it's wonderful to hear about an initiative which prioritizes local communities. Uh, I wondered, could you speak to, to people who don't know, say, the situation in Ghana too well about why this approach is needed? Why is it important for communities to come together to be connected around education? Um, it's something that's needed anywhere in the world. And I think um, one of the things that... Uh, global society as a whole would really benefit from right now is connecting communities more closely with education and also empowering local people at a grassroots level to lead change, no matter what background they're from, no matter what age they are. But I think um, as well, before I get to the need, I think it's important to say in the Ghanaian context that they're actually very well adapted to having this form of community driven change because they have really strong community structures in rural areas. It's a lot easier in a Ghanaian community to understand who the sort of key individuals who are have responsibilities or who have power or who have an interest in a project, stakeholders in different ways, because you have traditional leaders that's, that exist in, in rural areas, you have clear district assembly, you have religious organizations, you have head teachers. So it feels a lot easier to, to bring the stakeholders together for, for a discussion around education. I personally feel that the education systems across the world are, are too narrow and that sort of limiting students to uh, education being seen as this sort of few hours they have in school with this very um, sort of often top down curriculum limits the students in, in fully engaging in a wider variety of maybe skill based education, cultural based education. So in different ways in EduSports, we look to involve the wider community in sharing their insights with students. I know lots of that happens informally anyway in communities, but when you give a community a space to really come forward and share their ideas, I believe those sort of benefits of community connected education come more strongly than if it's done in an informal sense. That's really interesting. And I, I do take your point about the idea that education systems around the world are too narrow and that there's so much more that could be done to integrate skills and, and as you say, cultural based learning. I think that's something we've heard time and time again on this podcast. I'm really interested about this idea of bringing a local community together and bringing, you know, the, the representatives of different 
institutions together from school leaders to religious leaders to traditional figures. I wondered if you could talk a bit about the people that you get to do it. So EduSpots, if I understand well, the model is built around, uh, I think you call them catalysts and, and often, you know, the sort of terminology we use in the wider education world is kind of change makers. But these people who you bring in to spearhead this initiative. Yes. Yeah, so I would say EduSpots has developed very organically. Um, so the strategy for bringing different catalysts in has probably changed and emerged over time. Um, but currently we have an application process where uh, we invite people from across Ghana and actually beyond to put forward their, um, yeah, their, their desires, ambitions and needs. There are certain factors that contribute to success. So firstly, they really just need to be leading something in their community of some form, but want to be connected with the network and get additional support. Um, and we've also realized that for the sustainability of the projects, it's never good for there to be one leader in a community. We've always had greater success when right from the start, we've been very clear that we need a group of leaders. Um, so we always insist now that it can't just be a teacher in the team, that the core team has to have wider community members alongside teachers um, and also students. And that student voice is something that we're really keen to propel in different ways. So we ask people to apply to be a, to, to, to initiate a spot in their community, but it's usually the case that they've already been doing something for quite some time in their community. And so it's a case that they're sort of reaching out to be part of the EduSpots network, to learn about our models of training and to engage with other catalysts across the network. And we found generally that it's best to have a group of people who are pioneering the project in the community. So we always insist that it's never one teacher or even a few teachers, that we always have people in the community who are beyond the school in that team as well, alongside students who we really believe should be um, directing the di directing the direction of the spots and the education programs right from the start. Um, so yeah, most most of the catalysts these days do come from a formal application process. But I think in the past it was more of a case of um, people very organically kind of coming together, people saying that they'd heard about EduSpots and wanting to get involved, and we had a less formal process. We've also tried we run online courses on global development, and we've also used that as a way to get people to learn about EduSpots and then later apply to join us. But one thing we're really keen on is for the um, the applications not just to be done by people who, who have a good understanding of how to use a survey monkey form. We want to find communities who really have this need and some people uh, might be less able to write an application or develop technology. So we also, um, yeah, we take applications by phone call and we make it clear that we can we can talk to anyone um, whether or not they, they have the ability to complete a form and do this more very formalized uh, application process. And, and practically speaking, what kind of support are the community then getting from EduSpots and, and you know, other kind of things that you may link them up with? Like what, what sort of, what is the transformation that these change makers in these communities are, are seeing? So firstly, I think the I think they identify as their key benefit. We do a lot of research with volunteers to make sure we really understand what they value. And the first thing that they say they value is the being part of a collaborative network, having these education friends all across Ghana um, is really is really important for them so that they now, you know, they might be in Tamale in Northern Ghana, but they're talking to someone in Cape Free Point in Western region. And that gives them this incredible sort of inter um interregional understanding of education and community context that they really value. Um, but aside from that, so we 
in terms of how our programs run, so take um, so we have different strands of clubs that are run at a, a local level. So take our EduLit program, which we've run for several years, that's based on improving creativity and critical thinking through literacy related activities. They're sent a monthly challenge, um, which is very uh, project based learning, encouraging student leadership, and they work on this challenge across a month. And then they send it into, I should say, all these things are run by a Ghanaian staff team rather than me. And then they send it into the Ghanaian staff team and they get feedback and there's a competitive element. But at the same time, we also encourage them to develop their own activities that are more locally designed. So we have this kind of mix of some of our education activities are very flexible team-based things that um, are sent and with supporting resources and other things where they have an idea and we help them develop it. But I think a key thing of what we do is also that we give flexible grant funding um, to the communities, whether it's for education programs, whether it's for um, renovation supports that we apply to other funders for. And I think that's important because that really just place the power in the hands of the community to decide what they want to use the funding for. We insist that it's the kind of sustainable costs rather than uh, costs that run out. And we also at the same time empower communities to do their own fundraising and partnerships development. So that's a big focus currently is that we want all the spots to really develop their own funding sources, whether that's gaining um, income through enterprise and selling items at the spot. Um, and we might in the future, by the way, we, we also print our own books that are all about um, the spot communities called Kwame's Adventures, um, which is, is again all about ensuring that students have education that connects to their community with representation of their lives and their stories. And we're looking to sell those books locally as a source of income. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that summarizes it. We also run training conferences that bring the volunteers together at different points. But it's basically a mix of connecting them up, <laughs> um, doing training that's always collaborative and equipping them um, with grant funding and also resources of different forms that are sustainable, whether it's books, whether it's um, science equipment and this kind of thing. But we also promote the use of locally found resources for things like science experiments that we, we found that so many amazing educational resources can be created using items that are found locally. And that's a big part of our approach as well. As we're a very small charity, so it's quite hard to, yeah, we do, we try to really leverage what we have to enable the communities to grow and sustain their work. That's really cool. Could you, could you pick up on that a little bit? Could you talk a little bit about science equipment being made out of local resources? That sounds absolutely amazing. Yeah, so I think, um, I, I would say I'm not, I'm not a science expert. I think it's a case that quite often you can, for example, if you're doing a... Um, I think we've made sort of mini windmills, for example, but we would make them out of recycled plastic rather than giving them additional equipment that, yeah, sort of <laughs> pre-created blades, et cetera. So with everything that we do, we try to integrate environmental sustainability into the model as well. Um, I think as well for chemi chemistry experiments, there are often locally found um, yeah, things that come from fruits or vegetables or the local environment that can be used instead of formal chemicals. And I think we have done more complex things than, than this, that, are, you know, making various bits of science equipment out of cardboard is something we've done in the past as well, that I think my my science team would have to elaborate on. No, that's that's really, really cool. And I, I think it speaks to a wider thing that I, I get from EduSpots, which is part of why I wanted to talk to you, is that a lot of development education programs tend to be top down they tend to be transmit rather than receive and my sense is EduSpot mm -hmm. is kind of built the opposite way around right it's informed by communities it's a network of communities who you're bringing together and you are and again I apologize to you and to all of our listeners because this is a much abused term but amplifying their voices 
uh, truly amplifying their voices and and giving them a sense of a platform and and you know a, a sense of kind of power is that is that the case is that how you you see edgy spots Definitely. So I think everything in different ways originates from the grassroots in edgy sports. And sometimes it's quite hard to explain this when obviously I'm not someone who's from the grassroots context, but genuinely in edgy sports. And I wish more people could just go and see it on the ground or see it on our WhatsApp feed or um, yeah, hear some of them talk. But every single idea, even every single program. So, for example, developing the Girls Empowerment Program, it started with a conversation about the key challenges girls were facing in the community or even asking them you know what programs should we run in edgy spots they were the ones who said they wanted a girls empowerment program and then how we develop the whole program genuinely starts from having a working group on whatsapp that moves to a zoom conversation and then the program develops from there and as we send out the resources constantly we ask for feedback from from the community members themselves and also we have um, peer mentor roles in the staff team who, who are from volu a volunteer background or in spot communities so they kind of trial the education practice in their community and give us immediate feedback but yeah in in summary totally totally agree and I think it's also about a mindset shift change that's needed with charity greatly in the world and I think this is one of the things I, I believe more than anything is that charity can be very unhelpful when it gives this sort of um, helping narrative, whereas one person helping another. And if I could do anything in the world, I think I'd love to transform that concept of charity to being more about inclusion, realizing that everybody has competencies and skills and making everyone feel like they are genuinely involved in the solution and empowered to be part of the decision-making process rather than a passive recipient of aid. And that's something we really emphasize in all our conferences is you are joining EduSpots as a member. We want you to contribute. We want to give you um, decision-making opportunities. Please do not sit back and, and ask us to do things for you. You are the ones that are leading this change. And I think that's taken a lot of work to shift that framing because obviously you're fighting against cultural norms, um, but it's working. And I think, I think if you keep reinforcing that idea and that approach, it really can have a much more sustainable impact. Could you talk to me a little bit about what the key concerns coming out of these communities are around education and sustainability and the other issues that you're set up to work on. What are the things that this network is telling you that they need? So I think you can start from the very basic educational challenges that particularly some of the remote, remote communities face in Ghana. And I should say this all comes from the volunteers directly. So sometimes when I'm um, speaking about it as someone from the West, I'm always very careful to say that. It's just a basic lack of educational resources. So most of the schools in the areas we work in, there really are zero books at all times. Um, so that's why we, in our spaces, make sure the key textbooks are there and that students can share them and work after school and in the evenings and similar. Um, I think there are ongoing concerns in, in Ghana as across the world on curriculums being very knowledge-based. I think a lot of people would like to see curriculums that have more um, more group work in them where students are really given that sense of kids and develop their own learning journeys in different ways I think yeah I think that's a sort of curriculum based problem that most I guess not not everyone is completely aware of but I think a lot of people in Ghana would like to see I know there's been some curriculum changes recently but to see teaching being um, yeah more creative more student-led in different ways to have more group work and for really the students to be given the skills of the future that they all want to have that might align more with those kind of group of entrepreneurial skills, understanding of social justice and similar. So the kind of critical thinking element 
um, I think is something we try to promote in EduSpots that's not always within the, the formal education system. But other challenges, I think, are just um, all of those that are associated with very little financial income. So lots of students are taking on additional jobs before and after school. Um, lots of students, you know, struggle to have a uniform that looks um, look as it should and then are facing challenges when they get to school lots of students have very poor confidence and don't feel able to speak in English for example and then feel that they can't fully contribute in class or are worried about getting things wrong and other students shaming them in different ways um, so in all of these areas I think creating a space again to kind of return to what Eddie Swartz is doing where students feel safe to express themselves to share some of their challenges and working with the, the wider community on them it, it, yeah, to, that is, to explain those are more reasons for why why we exist that have come from the communities. I'm really interested in this idea of, of a community space uh, because it it seems to me that that's a, a struggle which is universal. And we've heard it all around the world that, that communities want spaces for, for young people and for their children to come together to learn, but also more broadly to be connected to their communities. And I, I know that in the UK, where I'm from, and you know where you're from, there's constant sort of uh, worrying around the erosion of these public spaces, you know, of the closure of libraries and of youth centres and of other opportunities for children and young people to come together to learn from each other to be connected. What do these spots look like? Uh, in, in Ghana, what does a successful education spot, social spot look like? Is it a sort of physical space for kids in the community to come together? Uh, is it, you know, online? I'm really interested in what the model that you're doing, uh, that you're delivering is. So all of our spots are very different. <laughs> and I think that's another thing that comes from a truly community-led approach is you welcome diversity. So sometimes, People have said to me, okay, so talk me through the physical nature of the spot. What does it look like? How much does it cost? Where do you want to roll it out to? And I'm like, no, this, this is not how we're working. It's about every community having their own idea of what they might want, um, of the particular building that might be available to be renovated, et cetera. Um, so again, everything comes to the community and what kind of space they would want. Um, but we've we've over the years actually moved away from the kind of bigger physical spaces partly because not only obviously because it costs and we're a small charity, but also because we found that sometimes in the smaller spaces, the most remarkable ideas come from because you're working in a more sort of low resource environment. I think people then naturally can be more creative, whereas some of the bigger spaces we have, uh, I don't know, don't always haven't always led to more impact and more clubs. So what we've done in EduSpots is actually create what we call the dream spot model, um, which you can find on the EduSpots website. And what we're doing is rather than the dream spot model does not focus on any physical attributes of the spot at all, actually. It's more about the systems and the approach of the spot. So the dream spot model has eight areas, which I'll, I'll run through quickly. So a certain approach to project management and sustainability, a certain strategy for community engagement and team building, um, a local approach to fundraising and partnerships and social enterprise, um, literacy development, practical STEM education, child protection and inclusion, and then education project design for just kind of wider um, yeah, wider design work of, of programs that come from the community. I might have missed one out actually, <laughs> but I think you, you get the idea that this is yeah. um, that our model, our model is based on systems and concepts and the people and what they are doing, 
rather than any particular physical attributes. Though, of course, things like resource management are part of the project management and ensuring things like risk management is done as part. But something um, like child protection is probably the most important thing we're doing at the moment. As we are aware that when you open up community spaces, you need to make sure that um, there are clear uh, clear guidelines about what's appropriate or inappropriate. There are clear reporting systems and that also certain people are in charge of those systems. So yeah, that's, I think that's the answer to your question that they are all completely different. <laughs> some of them are story buildings and some of them are very simple spaces in, a, in an office, but that doesn't necessarily determine the impact. It's the people that matter and the approach taken. But that, that speaks absolutely to, to the argument that you've been making, which is that community engagement looks very different depending on the community and there's you know the one size fits all approach if you try to build i don't know the library of alexandria at every single community that's not the approach that's needed um i i wanted to talk a little bit before we run out of time about how you came to to do this work and, and you've touched on it a few times over the course of our conversation but obviously you're from the uk you're now you know leading an organization that's focused on ghana and i wondered if you could talk a bit about that journey you were a teacher uh, and you were very interested in, in this work for a long time. And then you took the decision to come and effectively completely change your life in the course of your career. And I, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that journey uh, and what it's meant to you. Uh, also for, for you know an audience of teachers and school leaders who I'm sure are very interested and may also be interested in working on their own social impact projects so I became a teacher I think because um I think I just loved education <laughs> from when I was very small um I don't think I ever intended to become a teacher but I knew it was something that kind of naturally fitted with with who I am um so I studied philosophy and ethics at university and I think I have always from a very young age been um just very quite deeply engaged in, in discussions around social justice, um, political systems and similar that I think even when I was a young student, I was someone who just always wanted to understand things, understand the world better, understand concepts of justice. And I think myself, I'm very aware that I've, um, I've come actually from a family of teachers, but obviously I have privileges that others don't in the world. And I'm very aware of that. And I became aware at a certain point that my education that I was having, even my two grandmothers were both teachers, that this, this kind of gave me, uh, gave me the value of education and you know the support for my education. And I also did a lot of community-based education myself as a child that enabled me to go to a very good university and have a certain level of opportunity and choices. So I decided to become a teacher to engage kind of other students at a younger age in those discussions around social justice, because I think in the school age, your values are constantly being formed. And if people don't challenge concepts about wealth and redistribution or opportunity or enable you to understand privileges and how they work and how it affects people's well-being, I think you can sometimes grow up into an adulthood that even for yourself, forget about the rest of society, isn't necessarily going to give you the sense of personal alignment and fulfillment that you might have had if you'd had more of a discussion around social justice at an early age. Um, so increasingly, as I think I went through um, being a philosophy and ethics teacher, I realized that um, kind of the theory of justice, social justice, isn't, isn't enough alone to create the changes that we need to see in the world. And I became a lot more interested in the kind of skills behind creating social justice. So I think 
I've become more of a sort of self-created social entrepreneurship teacher um, interested in supporting students' advocacy, how they can propel their voice, how they can create changes, and looking at how schools as a whole can create an education system where we do give students the skills as well as the critical understanding to create a more just society. Um, and then the, the link with Ghana, I think I, um, I realized myself, I had a very narrow view of the world. I hadn't really traveled much as a, a young person and I had an opportunity to join a school partnership trip to Ghana 13 years ago now. And I remember just thinking, wow, I really just want to understand the world and particularly the education context in the world better. And so I self-funded my trip and got a plane at the very last minute and joined this trip, which I guess turned out to change my life in that I think when I first was introduced to um, a community in Ghana and could see the huge appetite for change coming from community members, the sort of clear volunteer spirit that existed there, the number of people who, who were dissatisfied with what, what was happening, but prepared to be the change themselves. I felt that it was so difficult for me. Um, and maybe this is where sort of slight saviorism comes in. And I think I've been on, on a long journey in terms of my own understanding of my role and positioning, but I knew that I had a certain ability to support those individuals. Um, so I was involved in basically a library project that was a school partnership project. And I think we all agreed it wasn't a very good project because the library was often closed. Um, I was bringing students from the UK who were the ones tidying the library. It didn't have a strong sense of community ownership. It wasn't being shared by local schools. But I think a key thing in how I am is I don't like to just think, ah, oh, this isn't good, and then just leave it, walk away. Um, because it was so clear that there were people in the community who were keen for a different solution and were prepared to help. And that also the students were just so passionate to learn and that they were sort of saying that all they needed were, were further opportunities to learn so they could be independent and sort of drive their own futures. So looking at how that first library, which was very, um, yeah, in a private school, it wasn't fully opened, it wasn't fully used, led, led me to work with lots of Ghanaians to really think of a concept that was based on shared ownership of resources and community ownership and leadership. And I think it's those two principles of shared ownership and community leadership um, that is EduSpots you see today. <laughs> and it's funny sometimes how you can you can spend 10 years developing something. EduSpots has been around for seven or eight years formally, um, but it's still those core principles of, yeah, local leaders and educational equity at its heart that is, is how EduSpots has developed. And the story of how EduSpots developed, I think, is really quite, uh, I don't even know how it happens. And I want to emphasize that I'm not someone who has any big sponsors or backers behind me. It really has, I think, even the early years, um, I should say as well that EduSpots was founded initially in memory of my dad who died quite suddenly. And that is something that gave me a lot of energy to realize that I really needed to get a move on in life. Or I had this idea that I wanted to do something that would make my dad proud. And his, he was a very energetic education library loving person. Um, and so initially the funding started in memory of him and then gradually we were able to because the, the team on the ground in Ghana were doing such incredible work it was very easy to show well it wasn't easy <laughs> I'm going to say that this has been a very very difficult journey it's involved a lot of tears but it, it was then possible once you'd created one spot that was being open at night for the whole community with solar power that was created with only three thousand pounds for, to show that story and, and then share it. And then once we started replicating and we had five spots and it then became a network, we then got to a point where we could apply for more grant-based um, funding because we were able to have a clearer strategy and document our impact. But I have definitely learned and gained more than anyone in this journey and, and being a teacher and coming with classroom-based skills and then suddenly moving into all this full social entrepreneurship 
business leadership has not been easy. And I would just encourage people who are on that journey to, to keep learning and reaching out for support of different forms. Um, but definitely it's, it's not been easy. And I think that would be another whole podcast to talk about the challenges of the journey. I am so grateful to you for your time today because you're doing so much, but it's such uh, a joy to hear about your work and also your passion. And I've always enjoyed the opportunity to speak to you about what you're doing, but also to hear about your journey and you know across the years it's been so amazing to see you make this leap from being you know a teacher who's also creating something on the side to throwing yourself full-heartedly into it and to see it thrive and grow uh it's just enormously in inspiring and um all of us here at the, at the Varki Foundation are just blown away by it and uh I think it speaks to just the incredible power of obviously of communities, but also to the people that step up and take it on themselves to, to drive them. And, and you are one of those leaders. And thank you so, so much, Kat, for spending the time today amid all the other amazing things that you're doing to talk to us a bit about your work. Um, and uh, I hope the listeners at home or on their run have also enjoyed the opportunity if you do, if they do want to learn more about, you know, your work and about EduSpots, is there anywhere in particular they should go to check it out? So the EduSpots website is just www.edusports.org. By the way, we're not EduSports. Some people get confused and think we're all about football. It's, yeah, EduSports. Like a spot is actually the name for a drinking space in Ghana. So we're trying to take the community spirit from those spaces into the spot context. And I also have a website, katdavison.org, where I do some of my wider writing on education. Um, yeah, that's how you can read more. And I, I'd really encourage everyone to check it out and to check out Kat's writing on because she's, she writes so eloquently on lots of different issues, both from her incredible work in Ghana, but also more broadly about social justice and education and, and theories of development. So Kat, thank you very, very much for your time today. I'm really grateful to you. Uh, the internet connection held up, which is amazing as well. Um, and uh, look forward to being in touch. Cool. Thanks, Nicholas. It's a privilege to talk to you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Old School is produced by the Varki Foundation, a global education charity working to ensure that every child has a good teacher. Please join us next week for another inspirational story.